the Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Huzzah! <laughs> Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Which is super fun. It's true. I think my neighbors are tap dancing directly above my head. They're excited about the Facebook group. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. So, uh, hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 2, Episode 18, Wicked Stitches. I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. And I'm Natalie from Uberdork Designs, an official true crime creative. Fancy. Very fun. Yeah. So how's it going? It's going. It is going. Um, I kind of, this week I've been extra feisty. Um, uh-huh. Anybody who follows you on the internet <laughs> will have noticed. <laughs> but before I get to the feisty, I will, I receive, so one of my dearest friends who lives in California ended up inheriting, um, family heirloom stitchery cool and he's like i don't know what to do with this and it feels to me like it belongs with you well okay so he gifted me with um a box full of really lovely cross stitch um i know one of them's at least from 1937 um and cool. So we have this family heirloom cross stitch, uh, and it makes me feel um, super warm and squishy that he felt it would be a good home with us. So I love that yeah. because I do think that even if you aren't directly in a familial line, mm -hmm. sometimes you just know that something needs to go live with somebody. Right. And I I like that. I feel like that is a, a thing that you should listen to, especially when it's one of your chosen family. Yeah. So I was really, really touched and really honored. Um, so that's the warm and squishy. That's cool. Yeah. The, ra the ragey is so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so up until yesterday, I was still... Raising complete and total hell with the aforementioned bone asshole. Um, You've been arguing with him for at weeks. least two weeks. Yeah, yeah. because I, f 
feel that passionately. And as you and I are both members of the Order of the Good Death, and we've taken, as such, you take an oath. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important to uphold that. And so I don't think it's okay for this kid to get off. And so, yeah, no, I made it my personal mission to just kind of keep fucking with him and making sure that anybody that goes to his TikTok knows what's going on. Well, yesterday he he blocked me. <laughs> so he blocked me. Honestly, that took longer than I had expected. It did. It did. But uh, and and it and I had maybe he didn't know he could. That, maybe he just no, figured no, no, out no, how to block. He did because he blocked a bunch of people that are like PhDs in this shit that are calling him out. So yeah, no, he knows how to block. He's blocking all of these people that are like professionals. Going no. You are not doing. This is not ethical. You are. You are an unethical asshat. You're a piece of shit us. human. Right. Exactly. So I was like, well, maybe it's time for me to let it go. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. So I will be creating another TikTok account, and that, and and I've already decided that's going to be. Do you want to troll him with the bones and bobbins TikTok? Oh, I might. I might do a little trolling there. But oh, no. <laughs> that's going to be my trolling account, and uh, it's going to be Morticia Poppins, um, perfectly Ooh. petty, purposely, <laughs> like purposefully. So perfect, perfectly petty in every way, right? But with a purpose. Uh, so because uh, oh, not, purposefully petty, yes, in per- every way. There we go, purposefully petty. Um, that is hard to say. It is. But, you know, yeah. you just have to read it. I'm like, I don't have to say it. Um, because <laughs> I don't. I, I don't want to let this go. I don't. He's got 472,000 followers. And he's got an entire website full of $5,000 fetal skulls and indigenous bones. And just, no, I'm not. I'm not. He's doing, he's got TikToks where he was dancing around with these bones. He lets his cat play with them. He let a lizard crawl through somebody's skull. Like, I am just not okay on any level. So I'm a kid. And I mean, that stuff in and of itself is fine if the bones are in situ. Like, nature does that stuff. Right. But it's not cool to disrespect remains. Right. uh, By making them frivolous accessories. Well, and it's super funny because, so he tried to be like, oh, so, and he's, he's really odd. He's really odd, and he doesn't blink, and he <laughs> he has is a, he a lizard person? He has like this smile on his face at all times, and he's like, and he so blatantly like disregards almost everything said to him, but then will latch on the weirdest thing. So he's like, since many of you were asking about my qualifications, and he flashes these two certificates he has, both of them are from online programs through like a university in Hawaii. One of them, which he claims gives him the right to, like, fucking identify bones, is literally a five-day program geared toward kids 12 and up. I'm like, you got a certificate and you, you think you know more than these PhD, but... D- I was going to say, that's not an anthropology degree. That's, no. It's not. Or a medical degree oh, no, or a physiology degree. He literally calls himself... Osteopath. Right. Oh, see, he calls himself um, a premier osteologist. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. No, no, there's an actual. Right. um, There's an actual study of bones and the people who manipulate bones are osteopaths. That's an 
his actual job. Well, and, then, and I know he. Or I, a chiropractor. And I know he gets. I know. I know how mad he. I must have made him because like he. He did. Oh, and I cannot remember the name of the. Of the particular disease. And I feel horrible from it. About it. Uh, Zach from the Try Guys has it. Um, so he posted about it. And the literal caption of the TikTok was the definition Google gives you when you Google that term. And <laughs> like I pointed it out. I'm like, hey, look, so you're just going to Google stuff and pretend you know about it and ignore everything else. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I fully expected to get blocked at some point, but that doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly surprised it took that long. Right. So, um. So I've decided I'm going to keep that petty up, um, and and in honor of Georgia and Karen, I'm going to take it all the way to the top. <laughs> I make it petty enough to try to start some legislation because there is not a huge. I mean, it is very unregulated in a lot of ways. And yeah, the stuff so. you should know, guys, talked about um, uh, the sale of human bones trade. On a listener mail, I think from this week, maybe last week, and <laughs> they didn't—they s- didn't say uh, his okay. name or reference the TikTok, but I am quite sure yeah. So, that, yeah. So then, yeah. So then, or stuff they don't want you to know, right. not stuff you should know. I mean, so then, same group, different guys. Yeah. Anyway. So that's yes. where I've been kind of crabby, and then, like, then yesterday somebody was somebody who doesn't follow me on Twitter, like, ended up, I posted, basically the tweet was that the last two weeks, uh, every single day, I have at least one person I know who has lost somebody to COVID still. So I was like, put on a fucking mask. Like, I just, and this guy who, again, I don't follow him, he doesn't follow me, decided to get stupid, and so I... In what is probably one of my most polite attempts ever to tell somebody to go away, uh, t- Twitter apparently now will check you if you use language they feel. <laughs> it has only done that to me once, and I was so mad. I was, I was like, livid. no, fuck you. <laughs> I, I literally was like, look, and I think the. The tweet was something like, look, I provided you with proof from the CDC, you giant buffoon. Pick your choice of direction and kindly fuck off to it. Super polite, I thought. And then Twitter's like, are you sure you want to say that? I'm like, I said what I said. Yes, I want to say that. And then I was like, no. It could have been so much worse, Twitter. You have no idea. (laughs) Seriously, like that is, I called him a buffoon. Like that is the most polite thing that I just, so yeah. That's, well, so yeah. he's an asshole. How are you? <laughs> know what I have in my hand? What do you have in your hand? I have a oh. a vial. What's in the do you vial? Know it's, it's a it's a shiny looking vial. <laughs> I want to know what's in it. What's it's in a it? shiny looking vial because of what's in it. <gasps> is it mercury? It is not. What is but it? it is a um a metal. That okay. is a liquid metal. Um, it's the element gallium. And it is um, a metal that has an extremely low melting point. So it's 
point five seven degrees Fahrenheit if you uh, wanted to get very specific. That seems pretty specific. It is pretty specific. And so holding it in my hand, it is liquid now, and I can hear it. I don't know if the mic will be. I can hear it slushing. Yeah. Um, That's fine. And so it happens to be a non-toxic always a plus metal and i think in theory i could open it and play with it but i do not know what it will do like if i will suddenly have a metallic hand that i will then have to wash off um and i i like the thing so i've got a vial of that and I have a second vial. Oh, why are the vials so cool? Like, just the vials. Because the person who runs the store that I got them from, which, by the way, shout out to Stem Cell Science Shop um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I believe. Uh, They are selling really fucking cool shit right now and it's just science stuff from science nerds for science nerds i just heard my pink account cringe a little bit and i'm okay with that well but it's most of it's not expensive um but there are like spaceship parts (gasps) and um uh there are there's hardware from a crashed stealth bomber um it sounds like um like an a, a, a curated boutique version of one of my all-time favorite stores, which is American Science and Surplus. Yes, yes. It is, it's not dissimilar, except it's very specifically targeted um, in a way that it's not surplus. So mm-hmm. it has, like, somebody decided something was cool. And so, um, the second vial that I have, that I have just waved in front of Natalie, is carbon black pigment. Oh, fun! And we have talked about carbon black. We have. And this is pure carbon. So, I have two pure elements from the periodic table that are just chilling. Just chilling. You know. Whatever, they're doing their thing. Um, And Carbon Black, as you know, if you have listened to our color episodes, is one of the oldest pigments and was used in, like, cave paintings. And it's been used for at least 20,000 years. Nice. So, Do we have plans for it? Or just funnery? Just I has to has. Um, I just wanted it. I have not gone any farther than that. But I also ordered a bunch of weird stuff from that store. Mm -hmm. Like water purifying tablets. That's that's actually very practical. (laughs) uh, I'm going to store them with my radiation pills. Okay. Because. Because that's what you do. Yep. And my life straw. Um, Um, Also, you need to find out uh, who makes that black nail polish. Oh my gosh. 
and I actually, I think I know how it was made. Um, this, the black nail polish that we're talking about is, uh, someone lit a match on some nail polish on the internet and it was glorious. It was. It and was. I think I know how it, how it happened. That needs to go um, with that. Yeah, and I also got a blood typing kit because because why not? Like, I looked at my raw genetic data and did the calculations, so I am fairly certain that I know what my blood type is, although I did not know before. It seems like something I should have known, but I used to pass out with regards to blood, and so it's entirely possible that no one brought it up. (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. And so I I think I know what it is, but I've got a kit now to find out. And then I got some streak plates for identifying minerals, because why not? That's fun. That's a good haul. That is a really good haul. It is. And I specifically went on this little shopping spree, and it wasn't, like, none of this was expensive. It was all, I, I definitely spent, like, maybe 30 bucks. Like, it, oh, it wow. wasn't. That is really. Yeah, it, it wasn't like a, a large expense. Um, but my therapist uh, told me that my assignment for the week last week was to just insert little bits of fun into my life. And like not have an overarching goal of be happier or seek joy or any of that bullshit. No, just do something silly. Add something delightful, like something that makes you smile for the blatant hell of smiling. So. I think we should all do that next week. Listeners, the listeners, yeah. insert some fucking joy and let us know what it is. We it, Things are not getting any less bizarre out there, for lack of a better way of putting it. Let's hear your tiny bits of joy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just realized that the um, little cards that <laughs> someone has definitely cut out by hand um, yes. came with each of these bits of things. That's a decent and font choice, too, I'm just saying. I think it's just Ariel. Yeah, but I like Ariel. I, it's too. like my go-to basic yeah. font. Because it's not, it's not Helvetica. I think it must be Ariel. Um, Ariel Bold. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like somebody definitely cut all of these pieces out, and it isn't intense in the way that big companies would make it. So it does say, please do not inhale the fine powder. Like, nice. Yeah. Don't do it. But it also does not tell me not to put the gallium in my hand. And presumably it would if I wasn't supposed to. I would recommend maybe just staying away from the face. You mean I can't go like full Ziggy Stardust? Oh, God, that would be so amazing. But the responsible mom in me is like, no, probably not. I'm not going to put it in my mouth. Okay, but mucus membranes and eyes and nose and... Test the fingers first. I'm not going to put it up my nose. <laughs> I'm, I'm also not going to put it in my eyes. Just this <laughs> is what liner is for. Yeah. It creates a barrier. A barrier. <laughs> anyway, I don't own makeup. This is 
entirely irrelevant. No, that's not true. I do own makeup because I bought some for no reason um, at some point during the pandemic. So I have powder, which makeup doesn't work how it used to work when I wore makeup anymore. I, so I don't actually know how There's modern makeup works. Um, There's but the primers and the setting stuff and the concealers. It's and the those two for, things. Like, I get concealer. Thing. I was a teenager with acne. Yeah. Concealer and I, we were like this. So I, I have concealer. But now there's concealers that come in different colors for, like, color correcting and stuff. It's Oh, that's been around since, like, Vivian Woodard uh, door to door. Um, I love watching makeup stuff. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I, my offspring both are way better at makeup than I am. <laughs> um, I put on a red lip. That's, if, yeah. if I think you're cute, I might add some mascara. But a red lip is not easy to do and do right. It's the one thing I've done my entire life. Um, but yeah. It's the only custom makeup I have. I have oh. custom made for me red lipstick. There you go. That yeah. I designed. That's amazing. Uh, but also maybe we should talk about uh, our people we people. love. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh just a little, little quick break to thank all yeah. of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon and give a totally normal and mm-hmm. not at all creepy <laughs> welcome to our newest member, James Harrington. James, you amazing, majestic mother trucker. Welcome to the fray. <laughs> <laughs> the fracas? The fracas. <laughs> yeah, hi, James. Um... <laughs> Man, this is quite the episode to join us on. So, thank you. You are obviously the best. The best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Which is kind of saying a lot since we usually don't go into the woods alone. With anyone. Exactly. That's some love right there. It's true. It really is. And uh, if you want in on this fun. uh, (laughs) Obviously you do. (laughs) Right. Not only. I'm reading tea leaves (laughs) on the Patreon episode this week. Right. Uh, Next week. Next week. And that episode. uh, Are you going to drink that? Uh Is part of will be part of a huge backlog that we've got over there. Um, yeah. So there's if, so many episodes. Yeah. If you like to hear us, you will hear more of our cats. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my cats have been very calm. And more. Jack is sleeping right behind me. Yeah. It's m- adorable. Mine both made out for a while, and then now they're sleeping. So um, they're pretty chill right now. But um, but yeah, and then. Yeah, and we're working on some surprises. Um, I'm going to be sending out a little message this week, uh, asking some asking our uh, Curiosity Shop members about some stuff that I'm working on for the group, for like merch and fun stuff. There's stickers, Fancy. all kinds of stuff. So 
you know, give us a give us a join if you join and you decide that you don't need the extra content. We get a little too weird for you. That's cool. No offense. Shh, don't okay. tell them. <laughs> we still love you either way. It's true, but we especially appreciate people who are supporting us because that's, you know, how we get to make more cool things. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about magic stuff? Yes. And stitching and spinning and stuff? That's like several of my favorite things. Yeah. Mine too. And I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't done this. Right? Already? I mean, we've touched on it in several episodes, but we haven't just done this. Just run head first. Just Yeah. yeah. So, may as well yeah. jump right into it. Um, would you like me to start or would you like you to start? I am open either way. I have zero preference. Hmm. I don't know what the answer is. Why don't you start? Okay. I can do that. Yay! Tell me a story. So, as I, as I mentioned about being particularly feisty this week, um, this probably wasn't the best choice of topic for me. because it really threw some gas on my burn the patriarchy down fire but it is almost bonfire season so you know hey um not in california the pacific northwest is not included in bonfire season yep nope um so yeah so we're in hurricane season technically (laughs) We're in the Midwest. So, uh, if we have uh, listeners who have been impacted by recent weather events, holy shit, oh my god, and I hope you're all okay. Yes, absolutely. Our thoughts are totally with you. And that's in any direction of weather right now. There's so much stuff going on. Um, Because New York just missed the one before, and it wasn't even... It was orders of magnitude tinier mm. than the one that actually made landfall in in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. Whew. Yep. Um, oh my God. Yep. If you uh, need anything, let us know. Let us know. Yeah. We'll do what we can. We'll be happy to, you know, retweet your fundraising stuff, whatever you, Absolutely. whatever you need. Um, let us know, and if we can help, we will. Absolutely. So on my my long list of crafts I must do before I die, because I need to do all of them, all of them. Obviously. Um, spinning sits near the top. Now, I know that I could drop spindle with minimal investment and it would be fun, but I want full-blown spinning wheel. And... Well, I mean, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it. This is what I'm saying. Uh, so while pondering spinning, it makes sense that one's brain may wander ever so slightly over to the term spinster. Today I'm going to talk about that word spinster. Where did it come yeah. from? Why and how is it used? And who are my favorite spinsters? Funny, I'm going to talk about the dangers of your mon- mind wandering while spinning. 
I love how in sync we are. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Always. <laughs> right? Uh, so let's get into it by talking about what the word originally meant in its purest form. A mm-hmm. spinster, which I think it's funny that it's stir and not just spinner, but a spinster is one who spins yarn or thread. And it may conjure a vision of like a little lady sitting at her spinning wheel, but the profession and the artistry of it goes deeper than just that. Like for oh, yeah. starters, the physical and chemical process of turning animal fleece, just animal fleece, into fabric squares requires a lot of knowledge and skill so much sure does that spinsters and their products have been crucially important to the development of like many societies and cultures for Mm -hmm. thousands of years yeah and their ability to say travel to places colder than from whence they came yes uh among the goods and a 26 thousand year old grave found in the czech republic archaeologists right archaeologists discovered the remains of a drop spindle alongside the remains of natural fibers that were meant to be used with the spindle cool there have been examples of both genders all genders because we believe non-binary all of them right uh taking part in these crafts but spinning and fiber production was most often conducted by women starting as early as the iron age in europe yeah uh some archaeologists in fact have suggested that the presence of spindles within ancient burial pits can help identify the gender of the human remains even before skeletal analysis has been performed i mean presumption that is some stereotyping right that is hardcore, but the math honestly probably works in right. their favor. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, er, but yeah, I get it. But, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Spinning is the physical process of turning fiber. Now, that also means, like, fiber from plants, animals, or even mineral sources into, strong, like, string material that can then be processed into fabric. And Mineral? Yeah. Oh, I guess color. Um, those natural fibers have been cultivated since the beginning of farming. So uh, spinning materials have been used since the Upper Paleolithic period and were continuously developed into different methods of creating yarn um, and thread for fabric making. Um, because that's the thing is it's not just we're talking weaving, too. We're not just talking knitting. Like most people, you right. say they just automatically think, but no, everything like tents and tarps and like everything yeah. before the industrial age man you were like it was handmade you've you got to... cloth yep somebody made it exactly now in order to be spun a strand of fiber must easily catch to another to form mm-hmm. a continuous string and this is why the fibers from hoofed animals such as sheep can be spun into yarn but human hair cannot um that's why, like, a, you can't... It can be, but... You need to have binders, and it's a much... Like, it, it, you can't just pick up a clump of hair by itself, and it... It's not the same. It depends <laughs> on the texture. True. That is true. Um, 
So using both tension and the weight of the yarn, the spinner pulls out a longer thread and then winds the completed yarn onto a spool. The yarn or thread can then be processed through hanging and stretching, usually with a variety of different chemicals like lye, soap, dye, sometimes even human urine. Um, the processed yarn is then... Like you do. <laughs> right? I guess ammonia? Yeah. Um, the processed yarn is then typically wound into a ball or a skein. Um hmm or other wrapped containment to allow like knitter or weaver to then keep it in order while making the fabric. Ultimately fabric is made into clothing, bedding, household goods, all of that. So how did this become women's work? Um, Hmm. Anthropologist Judith Brown in her 1970 paper note on the division of labor by sex argues that in early human cultures, the art of spinning was best attuned to the members of the society who were constantly doing multiple tasks at once that require routine practice. So basically all of this comes down to women are better multitaskers. Uh, For women, the creation of fabric was a task that could be combined with childcare. Spinning and weaving could be picked up and put down as needed. And it was relatively easy to do at the side of other activities like watching the kids or nursing a baby. Textile scholar Elizabeth Barber also argues that for this, saying that if one person or if one is responsible for a wide variety of tasks, such as food preparation, childcare, and housework, having tasks that are easily stopped and started again at the same place helped lead to production of a finished item that could be used for practical purposes. Also, if you think about it, um, the tasks you're already doing, like food preparation, there's there's the understanding of how vegetables meet how cooking and spices and things applied to all of those things yeah affect it so it's in the same hemisphere so to speak um it was first used spencer was um in the mid 1300s um though at that time it literally just meant woman who spins for a living uh, in an age where all clothing had to be made by hand and women were empowered as part of guilds, being a spinster was not a bad thing at all at that time. Um, but as you know, it has changed. <laughs> now, I wonder did, why. Right? Fucking patriarchy. Uh, now, Who how could did, be responsible? <laughs> <clears throat> now, how did someone that spins morph into the current definition of an unmarried woman who is older than what is perceived as the prime age range during which women usually marry, whenever the fuck that may be. Uh, That seems to be the kind of thing that has kind of just gotten uglier over time. Uh, There's two major historical facts that led to the spinster's evolution, so to speak. I just covered the first one, which is the fact that most spinners in the Middle Ages and beyond were women. Going from just women to a specific type of woman that mastered this possession or possession profession is <laughs> no, I will talk about possession <laughs> is how it started to morph. Uh, Terry Deary's history books for kids, horrible histories, claim that in Tudor <laughs> <laughs> claim that in Tudor times, so we're talking the 1600s. Because Henry VIII had abolished the monasteries and convents, unmarried daughters had nowhere to go and would remain with parents spinning. Now, that's 
I just want to throw out here that the, a lot of this and the research is reeking of classism because lower class daughters that were unmarried were not allowed to sit around and spin. They were kept at home to take care of the farm or the home, tend to parents. Again, these are all white unwed people. So, I mean, they would probably have to spin as well because the family would need true the yarn and right, threads it wasn't and textiles. Their only, you know, yeah. sole purpose. Um, so that brings us to historical fact number two. Um, it was common in legal documents to use one's occupation as sort of a surname. Yeah. Uh, which is why we have Smiths and Bakers and, I don't know, Tanners. Um, oh, God. Mine is Cox. <laughs> <laughs> what was your occupation? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, my full last name is Pearson Cox. So, <laughs> so you were... Yep, just going to leave it there. Yeah, Prince Albert's going on. Um, <laughs> women who spun yarn or thread were then given the title spinster in legal documents. Um, the jump from spinner like to single lady was likely like an economic one. Some scholars suggest that during the late Middle Ages, Married tradeswomen had greater access to raw materials and markets through their husbands than hmm. unmarried women did. And therefore, unmarried women ended up with lower status, lower income jobs like combing, carding, and spinning wool. These jobs didn't require access to expensive tools like looms and could be done at home. Um, right. By the 17th century, spinster was being used in legal documents to refer to unmarried women. It was after this time, around 1719, according to Oxford English Dictionary, that it was first used in the terms of an old maid, which kills me. Just kills me. Um, in Claudia Golden's work, her study of... I like old maid, like the presumption... Right? ...that goes into every part of that. Like, I have judged you to be both old mm -hmm. and also a virgin. Right? Just, just by looking at you, yep. I know. Yep. Uh, so, in Claudia Golden's work, her study of the work and wages of single women between 1870 and 1920... Reveals that labor-intensive, task-oriented jobs were often reserved for unmarried women. In a workplace that expected women to marry and move on, Golden writes, men had a greater incentive to perform efficiently in non-peace rate work and stood more likely eventually to receive prizes in the form of promotions and monetary rewards. Hmm. These factors kept rates low for women who remained in the workforce without marrying. In fact, Golden writes 75% of the white female labor force between 1890 and 1900 were single. And th this is European, right? Yes. Um, and again, Golden focuses largely on the experience of just white spinsters. So there is a giant gap in history of spinsters of color. I just want to make that. Yeah. And um, well... And I actually, I don't know if there is an equal connotation there, to that. There is, um, in my research on various spinsters, there is a, 
famous black woman um, who was born to freed slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they don't, for lack of any delicate way of putting it, black women at that point were just considered property. So. Oh, yeah. I, I guess um, what I mean is, like, in, like, Japan or China oh. or India, is there sort of any an equivalent Ooh, of yeah, that good, place in society? Oh, I, I don't know. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to my reading list this week. Um, yeah. So even though women were paid for this skilled and important labor, like their male counterparts who worked with the yarns that they made received credit for the women's design and industry. Well, of course they did. Of course. Uh, in the 18th century, for example, complaints, this fucking killed me, um, complaints from male weaving guilds in England indicated that American textile workers, mostly women at home, were a threat to their dominance in the textile industry and to Britain's control over America. Because fucking patriarchy. <laughs> Big baby whiners. Oh, also, women weren't allowed in the guilds. Right. I, I think I did an episode on that um, for very serious crafts. So, I'm just... I think it's important to give myself a gold star and to note that I am avoiding a giant rant on the fact, because I deep dove it and read several papers, on the Mm. correlation between the term bachelor, which is literally the male version of a spinster, um, and was coined at the exact same time that spinster began to be used derogatorily, and I, I pulled myself back out of that deep dive, and I'm choosing to focus on the badassness of spinsters instead. But I do want it noted for the record that it's some bullshit. I have no idea what the etymology of bachelor is. Now I'm going to go down that rabbit hole, but oh. I'm not going to go down it right now. You're going to get mad. You're going to get mad. You're going to get mad. Oh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going to get mad. So... In Spinster's Bachelors and Other Gendered Transgressors in School Employment, 1850 to 1990, I'm telling you, I read some of the most amazing things. Jackie M. Blount calls Spinster's Gender Transgressors. Women who manage to find lives of independence and autonomy in their work as educators, hired because Mm -hmm. of their singleness, not despite it, Spinsters were at first considered high-minded, upstanding pillars of the community and eventually became cultural icons. But when social hygiene and the study of sexuality came into vogue at the turn of the 20th century, Spinsters came under fire. Why, pray tell? Well, they were suspected of lesbianism and accused of suppressing frustrated sexuality, Blount writes, Spinsters were increasing. Well, then let them be gay. Right. If they're gay. <laughs> that takes right care of that. Exactly. Were viewed as standing outside their conventional gender roles as procreating women. And, uh. Oh, but they are producing a thing <laughs> that is are. gendered. It's just not a baby. So admiration then turned into villainization as women were forced to defend their single status in a workplace that once welcomed them. 
So, though many spinsters doubtlessly fell on the LGBTQIA2S spectrum or were simply unable to find a mate, there was another reason to stay single. I mean, dude, we can think of many, but... So, in her paper, The Best or None, Spinsterhood in the 19th Century New England, Zusa Byrne writes that, contrary to modern-day beliefs, that spinsterhood was the dismissal of traditional marriage values... Many 19th century spinsters, in fact, chose not to marry because they adhered strongly to the ideals about traditional marriage. As marriage was elevated and spiritualized, Baron writes, women looked for vocations and occupations rather than betray their own principles about love. She notes hmm. that many women deliberately chose to defer or refuse marriage because they were unable to enter into relationships that met their high standards or seemed worth pursuing to the detriment of their often benevolent vocations. <laughs> Determined to accept the Fair enough. best or none, spinsters cho chose alternatives instead. Basically, they knew their worth, and they weren't going to settle just to fit into a societal ideal. A concept Hell yes. that this day seems to still baffle society, but to, I say, you do you. Like... <laughs> You are not required. You are not required. No matter your gender, you are not required to marry, to procreate, to contribute to anything other than you and your own life. Seriously. Uh -huh. So I am, a, true. I am about to get into my favorites, but a couple of quick little things first. Uh, I know I skipped over the, well, how old does one have to be to become a spinster? <laughs> I did, well, so. that varied. <laughs> yeah, there are many depressing answers to this, and it varies from generation to generation. The common range is 23 to 26. One, I thought it was right around 25. Mm -hmm. Once you hit 26, though, did you know that you are no longer a spinster, but you are then a thornback? Which, what the fuck is a thornback? It sounds really freaking amazing, and I like the sound of it, but I also kind sounds of... Sounds like a kind of shark. Punch the patron. It is. It's a fish. Um, oh. <laughs> I just want to punch the patriarchy when I hear it. But also, like, shit. Does it have teeth? Maybe you can bite them. Arr, arr. Um, yeah. So, another fun, fun fact. Spinster and Bachelor were used on legal documents up until 2005 in the UK. So if you were single... What? Yeah, they didn't have, like, a box for single. It literally... You checked off spinster or bachelor. As part of the Civil Partnership Act... Thank you, gays. This uh, somewhat quaint <laughs> terms will make... made for the new catch-all description for unmarried men and women single the bbc wrote at the time so thankfully it yeah I, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep exactly do, do, do. <laughs> i just feel like these categorizations would have caused for an awful lot of census confusion like was that person a spinster or were they just 23 right that's like a literal spinster well, or and here's the thing like there's I mean you can be a married spinster divorcee well I mean Widow. yeah 
I mean, if if spinster is just a job, sure. I'm. I feel very very concerned for the integrity of the census. I, yes, among other things. So. Well, I mean, who will think of the data? <laughs> who indeed? So this has gotten lengthy, so I'm going to quickly whip through my many, the many amazing spinsters throughout history in literary and real terms. I'm going to just go through my favorites. Coming in at number one under literary has got to be, without a doubt, Miss Havisham. Oh, my gosh. I can't help it. I have got a massive soft spot for her, and I have since the eighth grade. I just want to read fanfic about her backstory. Yes. I'm sure it exists. And I want to I'm sure there are books. Her point of view. Like, I... And I probably don't like them because they probably aren't what I have decided is good enough. Right. Write it then. I'll buy that book. All right, uh, fine. But yeah, Miss Havisham. I'm busy. Book. I'm writing another book. That's true. Uh, second place goes to Rhoda Nunn from George Gissing's 1893 novel, The Odd Woman. She was pretty hmm. badass. Um, and then runner-up, literary-wise, goes to Bridget Jones, though she is no <laughs> longer a true spinster. And I love that for her. I love that journey for her. I hate the last book in that series. Yep, yep, yep. But, I hate it. But her character, like, I think anyone that read that at just, it was so relatable. So It really was. And, I mean, I want to be snobby about it because I am an asshole who came from publishing and have a writing and English degree. Um... <laughs> But no, it was totally nice, totally readable, and I have reread those books, yes. except for the last one, which I hate. I have just decided it doesn't exist. Um, understandable. Also, uh, full disclosure, every year around uh, fall, the holiday seasons, uh, especially while I'm working uh, to get orders out, I do watch the movies back to back. I think I that's little, acceptable. Have a little marathon. Yeah. Now, there isn't a f- movie about the fourth one, is there? No, there's just three. Yeah, there's just. And three. they end differently than the book, they do right? Indeed, yes. Okay. Um, it is different, but enjoyable. Um, yeah. And good fun. I I have watched them on many a flight. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good flight movie for many reasons. Yep. So and listen to the audiobooks while yes. stitching many a. Uh, many a project there's just a good balance of it's just good um so real life was tougher there was a lot of women um but today i'm gonna go with clara barton okay barton found her calling as a healthcare worker at the age of 10 when she nursed mm-hmm. her brother david back to health after he his dumb butt fell off a roof um <laughs> at 17 she became a teacher and she later then became the first female clerk at the U.S. Patent Office, and the first female clerk there to be paid equal to a man's salary. Hell yes. She received three marriage proposals and turned out every freaking one of them. Though she thought of different men as possible lovers, no one, no one of them measured up to her ideal of a husband, 
her nephew Stephen. <laughs> nephew, nephew Stephen said of Barton's decision to remain single. She said to me that she could think of herself with satisfaction as a wife and mother, but then on the whole she felt that if she had been more she had been more useful to the world by being free of the matrimonial ties. During I agree with her. Right. During the Civil War, Barton served as a nurse to the Union soldiers, earning her the nicknames American Florence Nightingale and Angel of the Battlefield. Oh, that's why I know that name. Yep. Okay. After the war, she gave paid speeches about her nursing. Paid speeches, which is amazing for a woman to get paid to give speeches at the time. About her nursing experience alongside Frederick Douglass, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Mark Twain. In the late 1860s, huh. she met Anthony and Stanton and got involved in the suffrage movement. In uh, 1881, at the age of 60, she founded the Red Cross. And also did international oh, relief yeah, work right. in Turkey <laughs> and Cuba. So, I mean, what? not only what an amazing life well spent, but what a trailblazer in so many different areas for women. Um, yeah. Just amazing. Now, runners up. Good for her. Right? Runners up because they weren't, I mean, they're technically spinsters. But they weren't truly, wink, wink, spinsters. Charity Bryant, who lived from 1777 to 1851, and Sylvia Drake, 1784 to 1868. They were two seamstresses that met in Massachusetts in 1806. um, And they started a tailoring business and apprenticed other young women. They were also incredibly close, living together in Vermont, mm. and became what historians considered to be the first record of a same-sex partnership. Bryant's nephew, William Cullen Bryant, describes the women's relationship as resembling a marriage. I would tell you how, in their youthful days, they took each other as companions for life, and how this union, no less sacred to them than the tie of marriage, has subsided in an uninterrupted harmony for more than 40 years. So, seamstresses started their own business, taught other women, and lived happily ever after together. Fucking good for them. Choked up, because I think it's amazing, especially back in that time period. So, uh, that is my whirlwind avoiding rants as much as possible. Uh, Trip from spinner to spinster yeah all right (laughs) well i am gonna sort of pick up where you left off and i am going to talk about the uh other women's work (laughs) uh that is witchcraft and specifically Woven spells and sewing magic, because there is a lot of interesting history there, but I'm going to focus more, I'll give you a, you know, a few bursts of the history, but I'm going to focus more on the actual physical making aspect that you, yourself, as a modern witch, can also do. Yay! Because... That's fun. It is fun. Mm-hmm. So, sewing and fiber arts and weaving 
all of those activities lend themselves really well to spell work because they work with concentration and energy and intention. So you got to be careful about what you're thinking while you stitch. <laughs> um, and they also, like many other ways of engaging in spell work, deal with repetition of movement and repetition of pattern and colors having specific meanings. And so it isn't surprising at all that there is a history of stitching and fiber work going along with witchcraft for quite a long time. Um, let's see. So one of the coolest things that I found that I had no idea was a thing was glass knitting needles being part of a Celtic tradition in the West Country of England, which is, just in case you were wondering, as I was, Cornwall, Devon, and Somerset, and sometimes other expansions are made. But those are, generally speaking, like, what you think of when you think of where the tradition came from when you're thinking of folk magic. And so glass knitting needles were apparently used to knit spells and the glass needles were important because they encompassed all four elements. So oh. they were sand, they were yeah. the sea, they were fire, and they were air from the bellows. And so blowing glass and making glass needles encompassed all four elements, and also they kind of look like wands. But That's amazing. I would break them in a heartbeat. Like, it would take me two seconds to actually. Uh, they're super thick. Um, okay. They're generally speaking like nine millimeter oh, okay. needles. Oh, okay. So we're talking like they're big needles. Yeah, we're not making socks. <laughs> no, we're not making socks. We're not making anything to be kept, actually. Okay. So the reason that knitting and spell work went so well together was much like stitching. They're was the opportunity to focus very hard. You could repeat an incantation with each stitch. You could repeat an intention with each stitch. You could pick a specific yarn color for color magic. You could do it on a specific day of the week. Um, say on Friday, if you were doing a love spell, because Friday is ruled by Venus, the goddess Ooh. of love, and also the planet Venus. It, and so Under it's... Under a full moon. Oh, I'm getting there. Oh. Um, and you might choose to make the thing that you're making during the waxing moon if you want to attract ah. something, and during the waning moon if you want to banish something 
And so once the person who is knitting the spell is in a trance-like state and they felt that enough power had been built up and enough energy had been focused on the specific end that they were going for, uh, they would rip the yarn off the needles and throw it in the fire to release the intention into the air. And I thought that was very cool. And um, I found out about this because the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic has in their collection a pair of these knitting needles with knitting attached. And there's also in their blog a a very old and like I think this blog is like a 2009 uh, blogger blog so it is it's not the most modern thing but there is an embedded YouTube video that they made that I can't link to directly so I've linked to the blog in the show notes um, that goes through the actual process with um, one of the people from the museum and also talks about that they carry, or at least carried at the time, glass knitting needles in their shop and talks about who makes them and how they're made. And so I just think that is really interesting. But I also think that just looking at that list of all of the things that you can add and all of the different elements, and I don't mean elements like air, fire, water, I mean elements like color Mm -hmm. and day of the week and position of the moon and time of day and plants used to dye the yarn, where the yarn came from, who was spinning it, what their intentions were, because you can spin yarns. You can spin spells into yarn and then knit that yarn into further spells. So, like, it goes all the way down. Yeah, and that's what I really like about specifically the example of knitting and the same goes with crochet Mm -hmm. if you happen to be a crocheter all of those same practices yes yarning broadly they could definitely exist but going through that entire list I think makes what you can do with fabric and fiber craft a lot more obvious than if I were just talking about all of the different kind of embroidery you could do and mm. things like that because you can involve every single aspect that I just went through. Yeah. You can apply that to embroidering. You can apply that to Oh my gosh. How uh, the, spinning. How the hmm? sheep are raised. Yeah, cord magic. When they were Uh-huh. <laughs> 
yeah, like when, I mean, you would shear them at a specific time. Right. And there's also a traditional time period. And I think it's before the first snow mm-hmm. that you need to have all the spinning done. Like there are superstitions around well, literally anything you can think of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you can apply this, like I said, to cord magic not magic which can include lace and there is a very specific spell formula i would say called the witch's ladder that probably most people have heard of and i will come back to that in a second but you can also apply this to weaving all of and weaving takes for fucking ever they're so rhythmic and therapeutic, mm-hmm. which is why so many people do them. But now yeah. we binge watch true crime stuff. <laughs> well, and, but you can do that at the same time. Right? Oh, my goodness. And so it's because weaving takes for fucking ever. And especially like if you're doing tapestry work or something mm. like that, there is a cat attached to my butt. <laughs> I want on my foot. Um, because. Because that is an item that would not get thrown in the fire. Like, permanent items have sort of a different kind of power to them. And so you can have spells that are intended to last. You can have spells that are intended to happen quickly. You can have spells that are intended to happen over... A large amount of time spells that are intended to be permanent. Like, it's... There's so many options. Yeah. There's so many options, and there are so many materials that can be included. Right. Yeah, and there is also a technique for making knotted tapestries, which is... a a very interesting to me combination of weaving and knotting spells that could happen there and then there are the spinning spells that also dive into all of the things and so i'm going to talk about stitching spells more specifically and then i will move on to the spinning aspect So, stitching spells, I think, when we think of them now, it isn't usually like I am spinning this thread or creating this tapestry or something like that. Like, that is not usually the approach. It's generally speaking more along the lines of maybe sewing a sigil inside of like an interview outfit that makes you feel powerful or there are negative spells that you can very stealthily stitch into someone's hem if you are the sort of witch who does that and I am not Um, and you can Like I mentioned earlier, seal herbs or crystals into seams. And there are just a huge number of ways that you can apply that. 
And so, like, embroidery and cross-stitch is really frequently used in spell work because it's repetitive and patterns and meditative. Yeah. And you can incorporate images, you can incorporate words, you can incorporate just movement, just pattern, just color. And, and different fibers, including, like, human hair. Like, that, yeah. it's easier to sew with than... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can make lace with it, too. And so I I just think that is a, a very interesting approach. And it's something that has been happening for a very long time. And it's also something that, frankly, people have been prosecuted as witches for. Yeah. And there is a very fine line between superstition and meditation and actively participating in folk magic and witchcraft and that has historically been a really weird line for largely women to walk right and there's also most of the time there is a built-in subconscious intent when you are doing any kind of handicraft um, especially when it's not strictly utilitarian. Like, when you're making the proverbial first baby blanket. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's... Or... <laughs> or I, wonder, I wonder how the boyfriend sweater curse works into this. Um, but when you're creating <laughs> something, when you're creating something, there is... There's always a bit of intent... There's always that intention or pride or happy... Like, there's different... Yeah. Well, I think the boyfriend sweater curse, like, there's some apprehension Mm -hmm. in presenting something that you have worked so hard on, and it's pretty easy to imprint that energy. Um, So, yeah, it's, there's just a lot of variation in practice and intent. So, a really common way to involve specifically yarn or thread into intentional Mm -hmm. witchcraft has been with the tying of knots and concentration specifically on the tying of knots. And I imagine that this was because that was material readily available. Mm-hmm. And so it is, there is a very, very common spell that probably anybody who has ever watched any movie with witchcraft in it, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably come up. I can't think of any off the top of my head because I know the spell and so it... <laughs> Uh, that is not where my brain goes, but, um, it will probably sound familiar. So, with not one, the spell's begun. With not two, the spell be true. With not three, the spell is free. With not four, the power is stored. With not five, this spell will thrive. With not six, 
the spell I fix. With not seven, the spell will waken. With not eight, the spell will wait. With not nine, the spell is mine. With not ten, it begins again. So there are many, many variations. This one happens to be a quote from um, a Deborah Harkness book, but the often the not ten is a finality statement instead of a cyclical statement, but that is a basic not spell. And it is, it's one of the first things that probably kids dabbling in witchcraft or like, uh, in the the movie, the craft. Oh, it probably is. Um, I mean, there's a binding spell in that movie, I think. And I just chanting that while you're making a friendship bracelet. (laughs) That is a thing. Mm. I I mean, it's yeah. So I I think that. And that's a witch's ladder, right? That's an example of that. Yep. Um. And there are there are variations of cord magic. You can pre-make some spells with cord magic and store them like it's there's a whole deep dive that one can take into this particular kind of magic but basically all of these varieties can bring in color they can bring in meditation, they can bring in concentration, they can bring in a repetition of an idea, and they can bring in outside elements, either in dyes, or in color that isn't related to dyes, or when you do them, time of day, all of the things that I have already listed, you can apply them to literally all of this or all of the specific fiber and stitching spells which is cool and also they exist most places like throughout history some version of this exists like even if it's just like knitting a sweater for a fisherman going out to sea who you love. Right. Like you're gonna that is like imbue you are imbuing love yeah. and protection. And protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you, and, and now thinking of all the possibilities, I'm thinking of macrame. You could even stick in the stem from like rosemary in there. Like, you know what I mean? You can hide things in the fibers. Like, yeah. Wow. You can yeah. do and I I think that I think that this area of witchcraft weirdly is sort of overlooked because the not spells I think are seen as basic mm-hmm. and like beginner level. Although they're somewhere and basic doesn't mean that it's not good, you know. Well, it also doesn't mean that it isn't powerful, right? And 
also you can do many different things with it. And so, like, you can also use fiber craft for binding spells, which often are physical, like pieces of thread and yarn wrapped around symbolic items. Mm -hmm. And cord cutting um, ceremonies where you are Mm -hmm. removing yourself from a toxic person or anything like that. It's just, it's very interesting to me and I think that it's overlooked pretty frequently. And And if you think about it, like some of the most basic tools are the most powerful ones hammer yeah think how how basic a hammer is but how vitally important and powerful it is knitting needles themselves like just you can you can do so much with a knitting needle like it it just oh yeah basic tools it's true you know what i mean that's a basic freaking tool but it's powerful and it's important exactly and like along the same line I would be remiss if I didn't stop by spinning spells mm-hmm. because that is a whole thing and it's also tangled up in the history of women broadly well, as I'll be weaving some spells spinning some spells into that. <laughs> I I would feel kind of uh fuck you in a good way <laughs> about it. But anyway, So I found some interesting tidbits specifically about spinning in Scotland since I covered Celtic folk magic earlier. Um, This is. (laughs) We'll be diving into Gaelic folk magic because. I'm a white girl, and <laughs> this hmm. this is from whence I came, and yeah. this is magic that I feel that I can claim in a way that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily true, and I mean, all of these things overlap. All of the practices from all of the different places can overlap. But yeah, I, I want to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. Um, Celtic is more specifically in my lane, but Gaelic is not out of my lane. So um, there are some interesting specific areas of spinning that I hadn't really thought about. I mean, we definitely can think of the concentration and the almost hypnotic hand movement, Mm -hmm. the ability to concentrate very hard on a thing while you are spinning, but there are also additions like working songs and which i think are really cool there are specific spinning songs that are spells um and they aren't necessarily thought of as spells i think they're kind of similar to lace tells Mm -hmm. which are songs that lace makers would sing when they made lace 
and I remember a video I want to say it was one of our episodes where I found one and I was just like oh my god this is amazing like these women singing yeah I and I have for sure talked about lace tells um around St. Catherine's Day I think yep um but yeah so there are a lot of really interesting songs that when you read the lyrics you go hmm Hmm. Yeah, and I have linked to an article called Spin the Wheel, Seal Your Fate. <laughs> That's that, not <laughs> Yeah, dun dun da. Um that includes some of them. I'm not even gonna try. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I don't want to be offensive by fucking it up. And I will definitely fuck it up. Ooh, but listening to people speak Gaelic and Celtic. Yeah. Well, these guys. are translated. Just it's that. just that I can't do the accent. Um, still, though, like, it, there's even translated, the words are still, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, Have we'll you, do you know the, um, I don't know if she's an Instagram person or a TikTok person, maybe both. But she's um, a poet who does her work in Scots. Red hair? Mm-hmm. Like long red long hair? Long red hair. Yes. Yep. Um, think she's a waitress. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, yeah, she is amazing. Okay. Anyway, I, people should, if they want to, oh yeah. If There's, you want to hear the accent, yes. go to there. Also, um, if you want to hear Irish, Natty Dread on TikTok. She's an Irish singer. And mm. I think she's Irish. Oh my god, what if I messed it up now? But she's It'll be amazing. okay. She's amazing even if you fucked it yeah. up. Her voice is just... Uh, when the sea shanty songs <laughs> run around TikTok, her version's pretty amazing. Yeah, I... Well before the sea shanty nonsense i'm I'm very into depression era bluegrass and sea shanties broadly Mm -hmm. like that has just been a true thing and i was so delighted Mm, it's fun yeah tiktok Um, is such a weird and wonderful place but also like incredibly overwhelming at times if you that's true yeah anyway back to spinning yes uh there are spinning whirls, which are the sort of circle or stone or whatever at the bottom of a drop spindle. So mm-hmm. like the spindle that you would yeah. spin by hand, not a spinning wheel, that have been found with blessings carved into them. Ooh. So they were specifically meant to imbue well, goodwill, generally speaking. I have not come across one that was like, die. <laughs> Listen here, mother. Exactly. Um, and so that's kind of neat. And pushing back a little bit on the on the bad name that the word and profession of spinster has, being a spinster was dangerous. That's why it had the bad connotations. Because it was dangerous, 
to the patriarchy, um, like you said, because spinning equaled independence, Mm -hmm. and independence equaled power and safety for your family. And so before being a spinster was a negative thing, that could mean spinning thread being literally like weaving the threads of fate together for your family, which is a really interesting way to look at it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say about my own thought. <laughs> uh, but it also, because it meant independence and power and not needing no man, uh, it became a threat where it would otherwise be seen as offering your family safety mm-hmm. and security and the ability to be warm. And like those were all good things and they weren't necessarily done by single women either. Right. Um, but yeah, so that is... That is just the way that I tend to look at it. And there is a step-by-step instruction that is pretty short from that same article that I believe came from a lecture that she (laughs) linked a video of in the article. So you'll be able to see the original of that i am told that spinning can be meditative and become automatic Mm -hmm. i am desperately bad at spinning like me and a drop spindle no i have not we we are not friends i have not tried either way yeah there's a video of the first time i met a drop spindle There's um there's an amazing good. local yarn shop called Utopia, um, E W E, Utopia, and they raise their own sheep and make their own yarn and um and I want to someday go play with the roving and see if they will let me try to spin. Oh yeah, our woolen is my local and they just celebrated five years. Yay, Rachel. Hey. Um. I also need to continue to actually finish the project I started nail bending on. <laughs> ah, well. Um, that's all so, so fascinating, and now yeah. I have all that. This is going to spark all of the new projects. All of yeah. the new projects. So, if you are a spinster or want to learn how to spin, there was. A lecture apparently given by Dr. Jennifer Lohman, who is based just outside of Glasgow in Scotland, and she is the person that this article, uh, that these instructions are based on. It was her lecture. Okay. So... If you are going to spin and you want to make a magical product, here's how you could, in theory, go about doing it. 
So begin with a purpose in mind and declare your intention before you begin. Bring to your mind the present act rather than multitasking and letting your mind wander while you set up tools. You can also say a short prayer or incantation to the spirits if you have spirits that you would like to talk to at this point and you can write the purpose on the whirl which i think is neat and i would not have thought to do um so then you prepare your space in a mindful way so you aren't distracted and so you don't have to like run off and get something that you've forgotten and then prepare your space in whatever way excuse me you generally prepare ritual so you know light your candles do the things that you would do i personally ring a very lovely bell to clear energy before i start doing anything um and make the process feel like you are doing a ritual like you are doing something with purpose even if it's very very enjoyable purpose like that that's great it it should be it should not feel like work unless it's supposed to feel like work i guess um so then much like meditation you if you notice your mind wandering away, you bring it back and... That's the hard part. Oh, very hard. <laughs> but you are sort of required to not beat yourself up about it because if you do, you will add that energy into the mix and you don't want to do that. Right. So you have to be nice to yourself, which I kind of like. Um, And so this is the point where songs or incantations really come in because those keep you focused. Yep. And so once you have made this ensorcelled material, um, acknowledge that you have finished your work with a closing in the same way that you would close any spell and leave an offering to the spirits or the good folk or whomever or whatever is involved in your practice and then once you have magically spun thread or yarn you can then use that already ensorcelled item to do any of the aforementioned stitching, knitting, crocheting, weaving, and add that extra kick to the foundation of it. And you can also, at this point, um, it's a great time to do some natural dyeing. And uh, specifically- Blood of your enemies. Wait, no, wrong one. I mean, you could. I mean, iron. That's true. Presumably, that would be a fixative of some sort. But I was thinking more along the lines of coffee or tea 
which we will be talking about on Patreon as I utterly fail, probably, at reading tea leaves for the first time just for fun. Um, yes. And uh, to be clear, uh, reading tea leaves, I'm well aware, is an Eastern practice, and I am not going to come at it from that specific area. I am coming at it from a modern spiritualism sort of tea time place, so it's not going to have the same gravity. I'm just going to mess around and be silly with a thing that is fun. I am not going to be doing a serious spiritual practice at all. Um, So, uh, oh, and we could and probably should at some point dive into superstitions and fairy tales like Sleeping Beauty and Rumpelstiltskin. But we will save that particular horror show for another episode because, oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. And I think that uh, brings us to the (laughs) weekly worst way to die. (laughs) Yes. So, um, embroidery curse. I would not like to die by way of embroidery curse because I feel like it could be a very long and drawn out affair. Yes. And you could also do like pulling thread out. Like there's there's a whole lot of like I didn't even get into that. Yes. Yes. Um, Anyway, so I feel like I don't want to die that way. How about you? Mine is by the hands of a man. Like, I'm just... Well, yeah. (laughs) Period. Because I'm just... Yeah, no. Especially an old white man. Um, Just... I'm anti... Yeah. I'm just anti... And I would like to think that I could take them. So there's several reasons why it just would be infuriating. But, um... Yeah. I have historically been able to... Flip a 250 plus pound German man over my back. Nice. I used to do that while drunk on <laughs> the Diag uh, in college with my friend Nick, who is a very, very tall German man. And it surprised him every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. So, hey, do you want to be spooky internet friends? And who wouldn't after that, right. honestly? Uh, I'm not even on the right page, so uh-uh. I... Okay, I am now, so right. go ahead. <laughs> T- tell me how to be spooking internet friends with we us. Wait. are Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, anywhere social you can find us at Pin- Bones and Bobbins. Or yeah, I mean, we don't actually do anything on, well... Pinterest or TikTok. I mean, oh, Pinterest comes in Pinterest. fits and starts. Yes. Oh, I, yes. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, or you can just go to bonesandbobbins.com and find us there. Or patreon.com backslash bonesandbobbins. Yeah, that's where you find the back catalog yes. of so many 
extra episodes and you know the the good stuff that we are yeah um which reminds me i still have not put up any of those because i keep forgetting i need to start a separate folder for the bloopers to live in so i remember to post them on patreon anyway uh, and you get to vote in our weekly Worst Way to Die poll, where you can vote for one of our worst ways to die, or you can tell us your own. So, yeah. that's fun. And while you're in the charitable supporting mood that you are certainly in at this point, I have decided... Don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins. And it's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls! Yes, please. And also, then we get to text each other with excited screenshots if you say nice things and it makes our days better. And I'm not even kidding. No. We definitely do that every single time you have yeah they make me happy dance occasionally yeah. squee um and definitely want to hug you because i'm the hugger of the group so it's true i i am not going to hug you <laughs> but i will probably give you a, at least a friendly look <laughs> she's like i'll give you enthusiastic thumbs up <laughs> indeed finger guns <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose, but yes, <laughs> finger guns. Um, yeah, so. And then on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Never. Lock your doors. And don't run Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content. <laughs>